My name is Parker Prater, and I'm going to read Romans 1, 20. First, invisible attributes, namely, his internal power and divine nature have been clearly persevered ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so they are without us. Thank you so much for that scripture reading. And uh, we are going to be talking this morning a little bit about our theme for the year, and uh, we're going to finish out the year by uh, some with some lessons that deal with it. And if you remember, our theme for the year for 2023 is uh, Christ vision. Uh, the idea of it is seeing the world through the lens of Christ. Uh, not only seeing Jesus in the things around us, but also the influence of Jesus should change the way that we see the world. We spent a good amount of time this year in the Sermon on the Mount uh, looking at the way that Jesus wants us to view the world differently in his kingdom, whether it's wealth or whether it's our relationships with others, whether it's anger, whether it's love or hatred, uh, whether it's worry or anxiety, whether it's fasting and prayer and giving, like all sorts of things that we do and that are part of our lives, Jesus has his fingers in all of it. Jesus should change the way that we view the whole entire world. And so as we close this year, we're going to look at some things that hopefully we view differently because of Jesus. Hopefully when we see these things, we see them the way that Jesus sees them, but we also see Jesus in these things as well. And what I wanted to talk about uh, this morning was creation itself, like the world around us. When you go outside and when you see trees, when you see the clouds, when you see the stars in the sky at nighttime, when you see mountains, when you see grass and lilies and flowers and all of these things, every one of these things that you see is something that God created. Everything that you see is something that comes from the hand of an artistic and creative and powerful God who loves his creation and he loves you as part of his creation. Uh, The passage we just read talks about how the divine attributes of God can be seen through the things which he made. Like, you can learn about God in a lot of ways. Uh, You can learn about God certainly by reading the Bible, and we often call that uh, uh, revelation. But then also there's what we sometimes call natural theology. Just the theology that you can learn about God by looking at nature and the world around you. And if you read the teachings of Jesus, Jesus did think and talk and act this way. Jesus cared about the creation around him. Jesus often spoke about the creation. Jesus saw lessons in so many things that were created, whether it was uh, in a garden. And think about how many lessons Jesus gave by looking at things that were growing in gardens. Or, or uh, the, the, when someone plants seeds and what happens when seeds go into different kinds of soil. Uh, there's different results. And Jesus sees divine lessons there. Jesus tells us, and back in the Sermon on the Mount, to consider the lilies of the field and consider the birds of the air. He sees the provision and the love and the artistry of God in all of those things. If God cares for the flower, which he does, and God cares enough to make the flower beautiful, then you can know from that that he also cares about you. Like Jesus saw the world and everything he saw was a reminder of the goodness of God, the creative power of God. It was a lesson about God. And I think as you read through the Bible and as we as we try to adopt a biblical way of seeing the world and a Christ-like way of seeing the world, I think one of the things that will change is the way that we see the actual physical creation around us. Creation 
isn't just a necessary thing in order for human beings to exist. It is a necessary thing for us to exist, but creation itself in the Bible has intrinsic worth and value. Creation itself in the Bible is intentional and is something that God wants us to enjoy and to care for. Creation itself plays a pivotal role in the story of the Bible. I mean, if the very first thing that we read about when we open up the Bible in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, it's in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And think about, you know, we, there are so many phrases uh, that we are kind of distant from because of the time and place in we live and how far removed that is from the, uh, the time and the place in which the biblical authors wrote. When we think of the heavens and the earth, I'll tell you what I often think of. Uh, I think I've said this before, but like the first image that pops into my head with that phrase is a globe floating out in space somewhere. Like I think of the earth and I think of it in space and, and uh, I think of like the darkness around it and then the earth there. And uh, one of the, the, the issues with that image is that's a picture of what earth looks like from like thousand of miles away. You know, that's a picture of what earth looks like from way up in the sky. And uh, that's not how anyone reading that passage would have ever thought of those words. They wouldn't have imagined a picture of earth from some satellite. Uh, They would have imagined the heavens, the stuff up there, and the earth, the stuff down here. And so when you start off the Bible with, in the beginning, God created the skies— and the land or the ground, then people are going to be saying, yeah, everything I see is either that or this. Like, everything I see is either sky or or ground. And they're able to see, as the story of creation unfolds, that there's just a whole world everywhere you see full of things that God created. And what's fascinating is as you go through Genesis 1 and you begin to see like the environments that God makes, and then he fills those environments with living things and with beings and with purpose— As you go through there, step by step, everything he makes, he says that this is good. Whether it is making the light, he says that's good. Whether it is making the the ground and the sky and the heavens, he says that's good. Whether it's making the dry land and the trees that grow on it, that's good. Or the stars or the greater light and the lesser light, which we call the sun and the moon. Those things are good. The animals are good. The, the birds and the fish are good. Like, you go through the creation week, and God is saying this is good, 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 good. And what's fascinating about that is that he says that those things are good even before we exist. Even before he makes humanity, he created, and it was good. You know what that tells me? That tells me that the creation itself, the earth, the skies, the stars, the sun and the moon, the animals, all of those things, they have value in and of themselves. They have value because God likes those things, and God created those things. I've heard people ponder before, why would God create a universe so massive, like unbelievably massive, like impossible to even contemplate how massive the universe is, and things that we will never see or experience, things that are so far removed from us we'll never even know about or understand. Why would God create things like that that don't even matter at all, and, and I think the flaw in that question is assuming that everything that was created was created for us. Maybe God created those things because God likes those things. Maybe God created those things because he's powerful and an artist and he enjoys beauty and he's able to create and he enjoy, rejoices in the work of his hands. It's like you go through the Bible and you actually see that creation itself, 
matters to God, and creation itself actually suffers when humans uh, don't live in the way that God has called us to live. So think about those early chapters of Genesis. God calls it all good even before he creates man. But then why does he create man? In Genesis chapter 1, what is the reason he gives? It is to rule those things in his image. God says, let us create man in our image. He blessed him, uh, wants him to multiply and fill the earth and to rule over all of those things. And, and when you think of the idea of ruling the way that God wants us to, that is not the same thing as like domineering or abusing. <laughs> if you're going to rule something in the image of God, you rule that thing so that whatever you're ruling flourishes. Like a good king isn't a king who domineers and, and uses his people. He's a king who the people flourish under his reign. And if God God wants us to be his image bearers who rule his creation. That's a way of saying he wants us to care for his creation. In fact, when you get to Genesis 2, you see that uh, God is talking about the earth, or we're learning about the earth, and it says that uh, there was no man to cultivate the ground. That's why there was no garden in it. So God planted a garden, and then he made man from the dust of the earth, and he breathed into him the breath of life. Like God created man in that story from the earth itself. Why would he do that? You know, why? There are so many things you could read and you could say, well, God didn't have a garden because he didn't have a man. Surely God can, can take care of a garden himself, right? He could. And he could do it better than we could, I bet. Uh, God could do like anything better than we do, but he creates us because he wants us to share in that creative work as well, because he sees a valuable role. He wants to partner with us in creation. And so he creates man from the dust of the ground to care for his creation. That's why he's put in the garden, to protect it and to keep it. And and so Adam is put into the garden with this idea, this mission of caring for creation. In Genesis 1, when he tells man to uh, to fill the earth, he says to multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Apparently there were parts of the earth that still needed work to be done, that there was still subduing and still taming and still uh, turning the earth into something fruitful and beautiful. And so he created man to fulfill that mission as well. So just the first couple chapters of Genesis, you begin to see how important the idea of creation is and how central it is to even our purpose. Creation wasn't created just for us. Apparently we were also created for creation. We were created to take care of God's creation in his image and to do so in a way that honors him. As you keep reading, you you see that uh, he builds this garden. We call it Eden. And it says that there were a lot of trees in in there that were uh, beautiful to the eye and useful for food. It's like not only did he create things that you could eat that were useful to sustain life, but they were also just beautiful. Why would God do that? (laughs) Because beauty matters. Artwork matters. Creation matters. Enjoying a sunset and a sunrise matters. Looking at the stars and contemplating the vastness of the Creator, that matters. That's something that we should be engaging in. That's something that's spiritual and deep and is, and is something that can, uh, can help us in our journey. Now, there is certainly the overreach, and a lot of people have done this, to where you see creation and it causes you to worship and honor and praise the creation. And that's not the direction we're supposed to go with it. You appreciate and learn from, and I would say, yeah, you even love the creation. But what that should do is it should aim your worship and praise towards the God who created it. The creation is a tool to bring us closer to the God who created all things. And, and as you read through the story of Adam and Eve, when they, when they do sin in the garden, what are the consequences of that? 
Well, death is one of those consequences, uh, pain and, and, and suffering. Uh, but then also, when Adam is receiving the curse, God doesn't say, cursed are you, Adam, and you're going to have to work really hard. He says, cursed is the ground because of you. And in, the fr- uh, the, in, 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 in your labor and the sweat of your brow, you'll have to toil. In, in, in essence, what you have taking place there is the earth itself suffers the consequences of human sin. And that's not only right there in Genesis where that happens. That's a storyline throughout the Bible where creation itself is groaning because of the sins of humanity. Creation itself is longing for something better. Creation itself spews people out of the land when they act idolatrously. Like, creation is a part of the story. In fact, after the flood of Noah, In Genesis chapter 9, you have God who makes this covenant. Remember the rainbow, which is a part of creation. Uh, He makes this rainbow and he assigns meaning and significance to it, telling Noah that he will not flood the world like that again. But who does he make that promise to? As you read Genesis chapter 9, it's fascinating. He makes the promise, yes, certainly to Noah, but if you look at the language of the covenant, there's more included in it than just that. This is Genesis chapter 9 and verse 9. Now behold, this is the Lord speaking, I myself do establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. So Noah and then all of his descendants. And then verse 10, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds and the cattle and the beasts of the earth and all that comes out of the ark, even every beast of the earth, I establish my covenant with you and all flesh. Uh, shall never again be cut off from the water of the flood, neither shall there be a flood uh, to destroy the earth. And uh, verse 12, God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I am making between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all successive generations. I set my bow in the cloud and it will be a sign of a covenant between me and the earth. Genesis 9, when God is making a covenant, he makes it with Noah He makes it with Noah's descendants. He makes it with the animals, and he makes it with the earth. Why? Because those things matter to God. And God is promising to care for not just Noah, but also the earth itself and also the animals. The animals play an important role in the Bible. Um, I love the way the book of Jonah ends. Jonah, after God saves the city of Nineveh, 120,000 who don't know the right and their left, God is asking this question to Jonah because Jonah hates Nineveh. He wants them all destroyed. And yet God loves Nineveh because he created Nineveh. And and he says to, to Jonah, look, you care more about a tree that was with you for a day and then withered away. God had given him the shade tree for a day and then took it away. He says, you care more about that tree that you didn't even plant. You did nothing for that tree. You just enjoyed the benefit of it for like a minute, and then it was gone. If you can enjoy a tree like that, can't I love and care for a city of 120,000 that I have put time and effort into that I've watched grow. I've seen these people as children grow. Like, I've seen all these. Can't I care about that city? And then it ends by saying, and the animals? It's like, he ends by asking this question. God not only cares, Noah cares about, a, sorry, Jonah cares about a tree that existed for just a short while. God cares about a city, even though it's a sinful city. He cares about it. And he even cares about the animals of that city. When you read through the repentance that takes place in Nineveh, even the animals are involved in it. Like the animals fast, the animals put on the sackcloth, just like the kings do. It's like every room from the king down to the animals is included in this thing. Why? Because it's another demonstration that to God, the things that he created, the earth, the skies, the animals, 
all of those things in Genesis 1, they matter. In fact, he put laws in ancient Israel to demonstrate how much God actually cares about the world that he made. God cares about his creation. Sabbath day. We often think of Sabbath day as, yeah, this is the day of rest. Israel is supposed to rest on the Sabbath day. That's Saturday. And they were supposed to do no work. Okay. Do you know why? There's a a couple of important reasons. One of the reasons why is that it imitates God in the week of creation. Another reason why, this is Deuteronomy chapter 5, is that it's a reminder that God freed them from slavery. Because when they were in slavery, they, they got no rest. And so as a sign every week of their deliverance by the hand of God, he wants them to enjoy life and to enjoy rest and to do no work. Don't think about money and making a little bit extra. Don't think about that next job that needs to be done. Don't think about another task to accomplish. Just in the moment, enjoy God and enjoy his good world. But as he gives these decrees for Sabbath, He includes in it Israel. He includes in it the servants. He includes in it the strangers who wander into the land. And he includes in it the animals themselves. Don't go work in your animals on Sabbath. They deserve rest as well. Sabbath was something that Israel did every week. But it was also something Israel did every year. As you continue to read the Law of Moses, there was also a sabbatical or a Sabbath year that Israel was supposed to enjoy. And the Sabbath year was for the land itself. Don't work the land. Let the land rest and let it just grow and see what it accomplishes. That's every seven years you were supposed to have a Sabbath year where you didn't work until the land, but you let the land grow. And when you did this, every uh, 49 or every you know, 50 years, basically, you have the year of Jubilee. So like every seventh seven, you get 49, Sabbath, uh, 49 years for every seventh Sabbath year. Uh, and then in the 50th, you had this big celebration called Jubilee. And at that time, uh, all of like the land that was sold during the time of Israel, you know, you have people, they live on property. Eventually someone might try to make some money or, or maybe their property wasn't growing. And so they sell it to a neighbor or something like that. Every 50th year, those property uh, boundaries are restored to what they once were. You are not allowed to sell your property to someone else forever. That, that's right in the law of Moses. And you know the reason why? Because the land belongs to the Lord. It's his land, and you can't go sell it to someone else forever. So on Jubilee, everyone gets their land back because God is allowing all of them to live in this property, and he's the one who designated it. The land belongs to the Lord. The animals belong to the Lord. The sky and the sea and all that is created belongs to the Lord, and the Lord cares for it. The Lord created us to, in his image, rule it well. Why? Because, as I've been saying, God cares for his creation. Read through the Psalms. And you'll see over and over and over again how often God is worshipped and praised by people who take time to look at the creation around them. Psalm 104 is one of my favorite psalms. And it goes through basically the creation week, only it goes through it describing it in beautiful detail, looking at the world around us and seeing the light. Oh, I remember. Oh, God. He, when you see the clouds moving, it says that's like God riding the chariots across the sky. And it's like, what a, wouldn't that be cool if we had a mindset that when we, heard, uh, when we heard the wind blowing and looked up to see the clouds in the sky, we thought of the very chariots of God. Or as you keep reading, uh, he says he stretches the heavens out like a tent. And it's like, wouldn't that be great to see the sky and think, oh, that's the roof that God made for us. It's like for every one of these thoughts to bring us back to God. Uh, Psalm 104 describes trees as the trees of the Lord. 
Why? Because they're his trees. The tree, like when you go to the mountains and there are so many, countless thousands and thousands of trees there, those, every one of those is the Lord's tree. Think about the Lord when you see them. Think about the Lord when you see the sky, when you see all that God has made. God cares for his creation. And there's the interesting flip side of that uh, in the Bible is the common idea that creation in response cares uh, for God. So there's lessons everywhere in the world that God made. And we see that God actually cares for his creation. But one of the most common uh, descriptions of praise and worship in the Bible is that creation itself cares for God. I want to read just a few words from Psalm 148, where it says, verse 1, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him from the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Then verse 3, praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all stars of light. Praise him, highest heavens and waters that are above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. He also established them forever and ever. He has made a decree which will not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth. Sea monsters and all that are in the deep, fire and hail and snow and clouds, stormy winds filling his word, uh, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and winged fowl, Kings of the earth and all people, princes and all judges of the earth, both young men and virgins, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord. So he starts off with like the heavenly host, like angels. Then he moves to the sky, praise him all like the sun and the moon and the stars. Then he goes to the earth, praise him mountains, praise him weather, praise him uh, uh, animals. Then he goes to humans, praise him kings and, uh, and, and peasants and everyone in between. It's like everything you can think of call to praise God. When you hear the rushing of the rivers and like the sound that that makes, wouldn't it be cool to think of that as creation itself offering up praise back to God? Wouldn't that be a great reminder for you to do the same? Uh, In Psalm 8, the psalmist looks out at the heavens and he says, when I consider the heavens, the work of your hand, and I consider how majestic and incredible and beautiful and vast it all is, when I see the stars and I see all that you made, I can't help but wonder, what is man? that you're mindful of him, or the son of man, that you're concerned about him, yet you've made him just a little lower than God. And you you read through that psalm, and he's like, he's looking at the creation. He realizes how vast and incredible and artistic and powerful God is. And I can't help but think he also recognizes that like every other thing God made obeys God. The sun obeys God when it rises in the mornings, and the the moon obeys God, and the stars do. And like, these things do what God created them to do. The one thing that doesn't do what God created us to do is the one that he created in his image, which is us. We're the ones who rebel against God. And yet, even when that's the case, God looks at us, and he cares for us, and he loves us, and he created us in his image, and he created us to rule. Why? I think it's because God loves us. And I think it's because God loves his creation. And you can see the love of God even just by looking at the world around you. Note some of these uh, verses from Isaiah that talk about creation singing back to God. It says, uh, Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, O depths of the earth. Break forth into singing, O mountains, O forests, and every tree in it. That's uh, Isaiah 44. Um, Isaiah 42 says, Sing to the Lord a new song. 
his praise to the end of the earth. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the coastlines and their inhabitants. Let the desert and its towns lift up their voices. It's like the sea, everything in the sea, all of the trees, all the mountains, all of these things are called upon to praise God. Even in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, you get this stunning scene of this throne room, and you see the one who sits on the throne, and you see the lamb, and you see this worship taking place where angels and the 12 elders and everything that there is is worshiping, but not only the things in heaven. It also says, this is Revelation 5, 13 and 14, then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the sea and in the sea and all that is in them singing, To the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Notice that's not just saying people. That's saying everything, even that lives in the sea. You know, that's that's picking up some of that language from Isaiah, but it's describing a creation-wide praise of God. For he created all things, and all things exist because of him. Creation matters. Um, God cares for his creation. His creation cares for God. And Jesus, throughout his life and ministry, uses those ideas to teach constant lessons about God based on the way this creation works and based on what you can see from it. Uh, Paul writes the words that his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that he made. Like you can see the invisible parts of God by looking at the creation around us that he made. That's a powerful idea and a wonderful blessing. And so the challenge as we bring our lesson to a close is this. um, Intentionally and conscientiously start looking to see the goodness of God in the creation around you. When you see birds flying through the air, notice that. When you look at trees, when you see the mountains, when you see the sunrise or the sunset, when you feel the wind on your face, when the sun rises each morning, Think about how much imagery there is just in the the idea of the sunrise. When Jesus, as he's dying on the cross, the whole earth turns to darkness. And yet at the resurrection, we're told that the sun is rising. There's something about death being darkness. And yet as the sun rises each new day, there's hope for life. There's hope for a new day. There's hope for something greater. It's like every morning is that lesson, that reminder of the resurrection. That's why Jesus will describe himself as the light of the world. When we see the sun rising, let's think about the light of the world. Let's think about the hope that we have. And that's something that we can do every day. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Let's think about God as we look at the world around us and begin to see creation through the lens of Jesus. Um, If there's anyone here this morning who perhaps you'd like the prayers of the church, you're struggling with sins, and you would uh, like the encouragement and and prayers that we could offer, we would love to help in any way that we can. And if there's anyone who would like to become a Christian this morning, we pray that you would let that be known. You can talk to one of our elders in the, the room there in the back, or you can come sit on the front row, but please do so while we stand and as we sing.